allow me to do a little housekeeping before we get going this week. At the time of the recording you're about to hear, I have been unable to recover from a hacker on my Instagram account. On prior episodes, I invited you to join me on social media. For now, I have deactivated Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts and offer my two websites, jenniferdianeghoston.com and onceuponatimeinadoptedland.com as a means of staying connected to you online. I hope you will visit me there. It's Jennifer Diane Ghoston, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is an adoption compassionate, competent therapist. That's a mouthful. And as an adoptee, it means everything. Her name is Janet Nordine. When I first heard her speak about the importance of play, she had my undivided attention. I met Janet in person at the National Adoptee and Parents NAP 2021 conference in Indianapolis during September. It would be the beginning of getting to know her better. She put a fantastic workshop together for those in attendance, and that next month would be a very special guest with the Adoptive Voices Writing Group created by Sarah Easterly. Each time I hear Janet's words, I move to better embrace those parts of myself, especially my inner child that loves to play. Allow me to introduce you to Janet Nordine, who works with all members of the Constellation, adoptee, adoptive parent, birth parent, and family members, and their supporters. Janet has advanced training to meet the needs of the adopted child and family. She is a registered play therapist supervisor, a trust-based relational intervention practitioner, and she is trained in level one theraplay. Janet is attachment-focused and has a clinical foundation in gestalt theory. Her personal connection to adoption is that she is a Baby Scoop era adoptee and an advocate for adoptee rights. She is an expert on being adopted because she's been adopted her whole life. As an adoptee, she has a unique perspective and understands the clinical aspects of adoption trauma. Janet, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Let's just find out how we're each doing. We'll just check in. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and um, there's an excessive heat warning, so I'll just stay in the house all day. I'm doing great, though. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And, you know, we had an opportunity to meet last year 2021 in September mm-hmm. in Indianapolis and and I had heard so much about you so I was thrilled to get to meet you in person. How did you enjoy the National Association of Adoptees and Parents Conference? I, I really enjoyed coming together and meeting more adoptees in person and um, enjoying people's 
presentations that they work so hard on and I always enjoy being in community with other adoptees and expanding my circle of friends. It was great. And I'd never been to Indiana, so that was new too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I passed through there quite often. Mm -hmm. I really hadn't like stopped in Indianapolis before. I usually just shoot through there to get to Chicago Mm -hmm. and get back home to Nashville. Yeah, it was good to be in person. And particularly with the pandemic, you know, we just have had to rely on Zoom and these virtual spaces to be together. So it was, it was very, very nice. It was well put together. And I know you were a presenter and I got to be in that room, your workshop, which was standing room only. And I think that's like a really good place to start because you as a therapist, what's so fascinating to me is that you are very instrumental in play, theraplay, I think it's called, right? It's play therapy. Yeah. I am trained in a modality of play therapy called theraplay, which is attachment based, but I'm a registered play therapist supervisor. Very nice. So do you want to start there a little bit about your workshop, which was wonderful? Sure. I knew that when I was approved to do a workshop there in Indianapolis that I really wanted to make it interactive. I wanted to make it fun. So often in our community of adoptees, things are so heavy and we get bogged down by the trauma and by the conversation around you know, how difficult living life can be at times. So I wanted to make it playful and I felt like it, it did uh, meet that criteria for me. I really think people enjoyed it. I um, wanted to talk about attachment because attachment is my theoretical background as a therapist. And, and I really wanted to bring that to the forefront, how we can be attached to each other, to ourselves even if we weren't attached to our families growing up, even if we've been rejected by biological family, we can still find attachment and importance in play and um, with other people. So I really wanted to bring that together. And it sounds like you enjoyed it and maybe that goal was met. It was. I think everybody enjoyed it and it was light. It was something that has really been on my mind for a while now, how important play is. Because of you hearing your words, been incorporating play like every day, like even if it's for 15 mm-hmm. minutes, you know, I'll pull out the softball or pull out the jump rope. Like I, I find that to be a way for me to connect with my inner child who I have her more like about 12. So the things I did at 12 is what I've been focusing on. Yeah, like the idea of attachment focused as a therapist, that's a that's a pretty big deal. And I don't know, maybe we can talk a little bit about what that means for the listener. I, I've been exploring it through my therapist mm-hmm. and it's it it's a big one, especially for adoptees, I would imagine. Right. Well, we are as humans wired for attachment. We are meant to be together. We're meant to feel needed and accepted by another human and attachment work is so important. We all have attachments. People think that we, uh, there's a misnomer that we don't attach or that, but there's types of attachment. There's disorganized attachment, anxious attachment. There's um, all kinds of types of attachment. Not everyone has secure attachment. We can have 
different types of attachment with different people in our lives. And attachment isn't, once we've achieved secure attachment, it doesn't mean we stay securely attached. It's a work in progress all the time. Our nervous system is in flux and it's looking for ways to be safe. And sometimes that's fight or flight. And sometimes we have to get away and sometimes it's freeze and we freeze. I'm a freezer. I recognize that happening in my body and I can pull myself up a little bit and be able to have some more energy when I feel that coming. But our nervous system is determining our attachment. And in relationship, it's so important to be able to recognize the safe people in our life and those that we can feel um, our best with and more ourselves. Yeah, I like I like that you said that you can have a secure attachment, but it it's not something that's just there. Right. Once we achieve it, it's not like we've reached the pinnacle of the mountain and we don't have to do any more work. It's it's always a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, like like you sharing that. And so as an adoption, compassionate and competent therapist, that that's a lot. And I would imagine it's not easy to find a therapist like that. And and so I'm always concerned the best way to go about finding a therapist that embodies all of that. Well, there's lots of people that think they have to see an adoptee to have an adoption competent therapist. I am a therapist that feels I'm looking for somebody that's trauma informed, that understands trauma, that understands attachment, and that doesn't have to be an adoptee therapist. It's helpful that you speak that same language and you have a common understanding of what it feels like to be adopted. But as you know, not every adoptee has the same adoption experience. And it's important that the therapist really understands the trauma of just being human trauma happens and sometimes it's no one's fault but if somebody understands trauma and they can speak the language of of reconciliation and repair when there's been ruptures in our attachment that's the therapist that's going to be most helpful you can see an adoptee therapist but if they've had a different experience and they say to you if you're looking for something um, or someone that's going to understand the difficulty the struggle the um, why don't i feel like i fit in kind of themes that adoptees often have, but their adoption experience has been wonderful and great, and they don't understand that, maybe they're not going to be able to help in a way that's useful. So I feel that trauma focus is the way to go and the way to look. And as a as a client, as a consumer, the customer, you should always interview the person you're going to work with, have a session, ask for the free consultation see how you fit together and how you feel when you're with them, because that's going to be the indicator of how the work will go. Wow, that was good. So in your bio, you state that you're an expert on being an adoptee. You've been adopted your whole life. And (laughs) (laughs) And so why not share a little bit about your adoption story, wherever you want to start and however much you want to share. I was born in Henderson, Nevada in a Catholic hospital a long time ago in 1965. And during that time and era of that hospital, um, there was a wing because there was an unwed mother's home here in Las Vegas. There was a wing where those babies were, those mothers were put to labor and kept and where the babies were. And when the mother delivered the baby, 
there was one door that she was wheeled in to have the baby and wheeled out when the baby was born. And then the baby went out a separate door. So I had learned that, gosh, many, many years, even before reunion. And that, that has just stayed with me that there's two doors and I went out one and she went out the other. And that has just been a, a theme, a narrative for me and my story. I was born and then adopted by one family and that family didn't care for me in a way that was um, healthy for me. And I, there was some abuse and some neglect. And then I was removed from that family and placed into foster care. And about eight or nine months old, um, I came to be with my family that raised me. And I was malnourished and had a hard time taking in food and being mobile. But after you know, a while, I, I came around and I was able to function better. And um, then I was adopted. My adoption was finalized when I was about one and a half. But growing up, I always was curious about where I came from. And I remember um, my favorite TV show that I was allowed to stay up and watch because it was the weekend was Carol Burnett. And Carol Burnett um, became my ideal birth mother. And that's who I I thought for the longest time she has to be the person that gave me because we're both so funny and we have the same jawline and we have some of those fantasies we have about who we could come from. Yeah, I watched Carol Burnett too. <laughs> yeah, faithfully. Still, <laughs> yeah, still love her. I will watch reruns. So I always was curious, always wondered, and I remember the first time I was able to sit down at a computer when the internet was kind of this new thing. The first thing I ever did was type in my birth date in Henderson, Nevada, and I just knew somehow that all this information would pop up about where I came from. And as you know, that didn't happen. There was nothing there. No one was looking. I just thought for sure that that would happen. Fast forward to 2016, I got a DNA test and took it in 2017, February 1st. I heard from a cousin who told me that he knew who my family was because I had um, sent a message through Ancestry that who I was born to, the first name, because I had the first name, and that I had five older brothers. And he wrote back and told me all my brothers' names. And then about an hour later, uh, I got a message from another cousin who was his sister and said, I've spoken to your birth mother and she's waiting for you to call. Here's her phone number. Mm. So in a matter of, I don't know, an hour and a half after getting the first message, I was on the phone with her. Wow. And, uh, yeah. It, it sounds like deal. your cousins were very welcoming. My cousins are the best. <laughs> I think it's really easy to be friends with cousins. They have just been so accepting and i know um i've heard that from other people in reunion too that the cousins seem to be the easiest relationships mm-hmm. and for me that's how that's how it has been till this day yeah so what was it like meeting your birth just, mom to speak to her yeah well um, she was very matter of fact she told me my birth father's full name which i immediately wrote down she um she just kind of told me the facts as if it was a news story. There wasn't a lot of emotion there for her. I didn't have a lot of emotion, which was a little surprising because this is something I'd waited for for so long. But I was just furiously writing things down. But the most interesting and amazing thing happened is she told me I had a sister. And I was sitting at my home. She told me her name and um, told me where she lived. And I looked up on Facebook and while we were talking. And I immediately saw her face and knew that was that was my sister. So mm. that was this 
beautiful miracle because that's something I'd wanted my whole life. Yeah. Uh, so you saw the mural wing. I did. Yeah. We do. We did a lot of like, so um, the next day, February 2nd, I sent her a message of thanks, gratitude. And a few days later, it was her birthday. And I messaged her and I said, can they call you for your birthday? And she says, I don't want to ever talk again. And that was devastating. Mm. Didn't see that coming. So that's kind of how that went. Well, that is, that is hard. Yeah, it was super hard. Um, we did end up meeting um, September of that year. She had had cancer for a long time and it had taken a turn and she wasn't doing well. So she, the way she put it is, I'll meet you one time before I die, basically. And I was grateful for that opportunity that we had. Yes. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you about being more connected to the adoption community. When would you say mm-hmm. that first started for you? So I had a reunion in February of 2017. Just really immersed myself in everything I could find. I found the Adoptees on podcasts, as many of us do, and I obsessively binge listened to as many episodes as I could. And I started, you know, looking on Facebook and hearing people that had been on the show and looking at their Facebook profiles and sending friend requests and being accepted. And I ended up going to a retreat um, that Anne Heffron and Pam Cordano had in Berkeley and met an amazing group of people and still two of my very best friends have come from that retreat and we're still going strong and still connected. You and I actually met prior to Indianapolis when we were in San Francisco when Haley Mack came there and we had to have dinner together. And so I, that just became a big deal for me was that show and being part of that community. And um, I'm so grateful for it because I was pretty lost after the rejection of family and not, not knowing, like not having a footing of where I was headed. And I started doing more research and started working differently with adopted children and just has been this beautiful, amazing growth that I've seen in myself and my circle of friends. And I find that adoptees are some of the most miraculous people I've ever met. The strongest, most caring, loving, giving people that I know. And it's just been a wonderful experience in my life. We are some deep folks. Yeah, (laughs) it's so true. Like the names you mentioned, Pam and Anne. In California, San Francisco, I think that was 2018, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, Yeah. and of course, Haley Racky is doing an amazing job. The Adoptees Mm -hmm. on Podcast is such a wonderful resource, and I, too, binged when I found it. And I just think that we, as adoptees, really are extraordinary, yeah, in Mm -hmm. so many ways. And to be connected, for me, is everything to be connected to the community. So as a therapist, what contributions are the most meaningful and purposeful to you? My professional work has broadened and deepened, and I have delved further into attachment. I've always been attachment-focused and just learning more and understanding more and always researching and looking for answers 
and explanations of things that help me and my clients. And I'm pretty vocal in the play therapy community about adoption um, online. And I recently went to a training in Austin, Texas about attachment and expressive arts. And it was the fabulous five days. And I hadn't been to a workshop in forever because of the pandemic. And so nice to get out and be with other people. And in that training, uh, one of the participants asked the trainers oh, about attachment. What about children who are adopted? And I know the trainers well. well. I know them, but I know them better now after that training. And the one trainer looked at me, and he, he happens to be an adoptive parent. And he looked at me right in the eyes and said, we need to give voice to the adoptees. And well, he said a lot of other things about attachment. But he also said, we need to make sure the elevated voice is the adoptee voice. And then he said, Janet, is there anything you want to say? Because I, you know, I'm pretty open about being adopted. And he gave me this platform, and I was able to speak um, with intelligence and from the heart about working with adopted children and, and some of the importance of that. And it was like a pinnacle moment where there was a recognition of my voice in a room was the most important voice because of my life experience. And that was a big deal. Yes. I'm glad you shared that story. Mm-hmm. What an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And when we're looking for opportunity in life, it will find us mm. when we're we're sitting back and wondering if anyone will ever pay attention to us or if we matter or if we um, anybody even knows we're around. But when we're curious and open to possibility, that's when the opportunities come to us. Mm. I love the way you said that. Mm. I so agree. How have you best navigated your evolution? Like you, I'm a 60s baby. I was born in 64. Mm -hmm. And as I look back over the years, I'm like, I I really have navigated this sometimes better than other times. (laughs) But all of it, I think is important. And I try to share, share it. So like, what's your, what's your way of describing how you've navigated this, this profound loss that we've experienced as adoptees? Mm -hmm. I always felt different. I always, I would used to describe myself a square peg in a round life. Mm -hmm. Like I just didn't figure out where I fit in. But I didn't always recognize the reason why. The, of course, I feel that way because I'm adopted. It was always just like I'm a little weird or something, you know. Right. Once I came to the realization when I walked into myself in 2017 and like, you know, they, talk about coming out of the fog but you know that feeling that happens that's when the evolution really sped up and um, I was able to find in my hometown an adoption competent therapist that is also an adoptee and that has a different lived experience but is very somatic body focused and able to work with her and she's really helped me to uncover places in myself that needed healing and recognizing some of those feelings that I have of not fitting in and not being wanted. That's an old feeling and not about now in my grown-up life. In my grown-up life, I can care for myself and I can care for that inner child. I love how you spoke about being 12, having that 12-year-old feeling and playing. That's really what it's all about. It's like reaching back inside and providing what wasn't there for us when we needed it as children and providing it for ourselves because if we're waiting for someone else to meet our need, it's not going to happen. How can we? How can we meet our own need? Yes. Yeah, I feel like I'm playing my adult self 
my present day mm-hmm. self is playing with my 12 year old self, like spending time and listening to her uh, when she was kind of silenced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In many ways. You know, uh, yeah. So it does feel really good. And like what exercise would you want to leave the listeners with as it relates to play and how to maybe think about it, incorporating it in a daily activity? I think people believe play is I'm going to get toys out and I'm going to play. (laughs) It's an awful, it isn't what I'm doing all the time with people. Um, We create things. We do some arts. I particularly, my favorite thing to do is build Lego kits. And so during the pandemic, it was a perfect time to indulge my, uh, my addiction, I guess, Mm -hmm. for Lego. So that's what I enjoy doing. I plan on doing that later today. You know, you talked about jumping rope. Any kind of moving your body is play. Anytime we're doing something that's an activity is play. Reading books can be play. You know, you're in your imagination. You're losing yourself in the story making art I talked about. I don't know if you remember as a kid, a spirograph. I have yeah. a spirograph. I enjoy that. I like things that have a start and a finish. So I can build Legos. There's a step one and there's a step, you know, sometimes 150 and then you're finished and then you have a finished product. There's lots of ways to play that don't involve toys or, um, you know, walking your dog is playful. Dogs are very playful. There's lots of things you can do. The connection with yourself in that playful way is the most important part. Or you can play a game with other people and connecting that way, laughing and being together is a great way to play. Right. I liked hearing you say that in Indianapolis, that play is so many things. It's not just mm-hmm. like you say toys or, or even games. We got out, we got out the, yeah, we got out bubbles and we pop bubbles. Yeah. I mean, dollar store, get yourself some bubbles and blow them. That's very playful. Yeah, I I did that. I got a couple of bottles of bubbles and I got some mm-hmm. that big chalk, you know, the big colored chalk. And oh, I love that. <laughs> I love the chalk between my fingers and I'll go outside and write on the concrete just different things because I, I just mm-hmm. recall mm-hmm. doing that when right. I was younger. Yeah, like and, and it, bring, it seems like it brings up a lot of good feelings from my youth mm-hmm. in my youth. So, right. Well, what happens is it releases those good brain chemicals and it washes over your brain and you feel nice. So you feel good. You feel connected. Yeah, that's the word. I feel connected mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. parts of myself. And I recently heard an ado- a couple of adoptees talk about the, these parts of themselves. And I thought, yeah, like there's a two-year-old in there. There's a, a 10-year-old, like because I can remember so much from my childhood mm-hmm. And each of these parts, I think I want, I want them to come together. I want to, right. is the word integrate? Integrate. Sometimes I think about that with parts of ourselves. There's a type of therapy called internal family systems, and I love that. I incorporate a little bit of that, the parts work. I will think about it as a, as a committee, like putting together a conference table. Who's at the table? And recognizing, oh, it's that little 10-year-old part needs to really be seen and heard and felt and you know what does she need and sometimes it's it's even younger so I, I love that you're doing that work yeah I am glad too and I guess we can wrap it up is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like to share well one thing that I think is we 
when we go into therapy, when a client comes to therapy, they want to be healed. They want things to be better. They want things to, to not hurt as much. But really, attachment work and therapy is not about putting things back together. It's about noticing what it's like to be broken and accepting ourselves and accepting the brokenness within ourselves and loving even that part that feels so broken. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I just appreciate you taking the time out to have this conversation with me. And it's just been great. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me today, Jennifer. It was heartbreaking to learn that Janet's birth mother rejected her, but she would get to see her before she died. Janet's sister was so accepting and loving, but sadly died shortly and suddenly after reunion. It is often through these painful experiences that we grow in our ability to help others. I enjoyed hearing Janet say that she was given center stage by a trainer while in Austin, Texas for an attachment training workshop. She was invited to share her perspective as an adoptive person. The trainer looked at Janet and said, we need to give voice to the adoptee. The elevated voice is the adoptee voice. He knew the importance as an adoptive parent of hearing an adult adoptee's lived experience. When Janet shares that attachment work is important because we as human beings are wired to feel needed and accepted by others, I don't believe that can ever be overstated. Many of us in professional therapy are learning that the difference between secure and insecure attachment and managing it is a lifelong journey. I agree wholeheartedly that adoptees are some of the most miraculous, strongest, caring, loving, and giving people I know. As Janet stated, we are some deep folks. Thank you, Janet, for having this conversation with me. Every time I think of you, I'm reminded of the growth over the last several months in the area of incorporating play in my life. I often gather my bottle of bubbles, jump rope, hula hoop, thick colored chalk, crayons, markers, coloring books, and playing cards to set aside time to be a kid. I believe it has been life-changing and transformational for me to recognize how many ways we can embrace our inner child on a regular basis. It makes me smile to know that through your training and guidance, others can begin to lean into all the possibilities of healing the parts of ourselves with activities we did as a little person. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. Thank you for being here.